0: what is good am bush and welcome to yet another episode of the desert tiger podcast i am your host here on the dtp my name my name is colton g and today on desert tiger i'm joined by jj voss as we discuss his new upcoming album come along with me course i'm going to give you a little bit more of an insight into who jj is before we jump into that conversation but before we do that there's a few things i want to take care of first and those are as follows i want to thank those of you who checked out the last episode of the podcast which was episode two of stripes our bonus show On episode 2 of Stripes, we took a look into the return of the XFL. They just kicked off with their first week of returning of the league, and they averaged over 3 million viewers per game, which is a pretty strong start for the new league, especially after the AAF has failed. They've already outperformed the AAF in a lot of regards actually which is a very very good sign for this new league and of course there's a few mistakes I actually made in that episode the main one of course being that I said the game ball was a bit smaller than the NFL game ball this actually is not true and that was pointed out to me by Rangers King 669 over on our YouTube page who informed us that this is actually not the case, so a big thank you to Rangers King 669 for pointing that out for us. Yes, I also just want to go and mention that you can go and copy yourself the latest and greatest in Desert Tiger podcast gear so that you can rep the show every single place you go, and where do you do that? That's over at ilovedtp.com, that is. I love DTP.com. New hats and toques coming very soon. The other way that you can also support Desert Tiger is by checking out Audible. And Audible is giving our listeners a free audiobook with a Month trial subscription. All that you need to do is head on over to audibletrial.com slash desert tiger and get started with the largest selection of audio programs available today. Alright, let's jump into JJ Voss. Raised on a farm near the small town of Cupar, Saskatchewan, JJ Voss has always been drawn towards playing music. Voss originally started with piano, but eventually would end up picking up his dad's old flat top at the age of 8, and since that moment, he has been following in the footsteps of troubadours like Charlie Major, Tom Petty, and Bruce Springsteen. From playing weekend gigs with his high school band, to gigging six nights a week in nightclubs, festivals, and soft theaters, Voss has become known for his ability to fuse the classic country sound into music that's perfectly suited for modern times. After releasing his debut EP, Hillbilly Storybook, in 2009 and his debut full length album, Show 'em Who's Voss, in 2012, JJ had built himself up quite a reputation. But in 2017, Voss was forced to take a one-year hiatus from his career to recover from major back surgery. Bedridden with only social media, TV, and the news's connection to the outside world, Voss began to digest the current social trends involving nationalism, tribalism, polarization, division, and violence, all of which weighed heavily on his mind. And he began to put paper to pen and wrote his third album, Come Along With Me, which is going to be released in March of 2020, and we are here today to not only talk about That third album, that return album, Come Along With Me, we're also here to speak about some of the singles off of that album, including the one that you're about to hear, which is the title track off that album, of course, also entitled Come Along With Me. We also took some time to discuss J.J.'s time, his career, before he began writing his own music and what the transition was like into writing his own music with that debut EP, Hillbilly Storybook, and that other album, Show Him Who's Voss. We're going to get into full detail with those as well, and then we're going to dive right into Come Along With Me. So why don't we get things started Before we jump into this conversation with J.J. Voss by playing you that new single that dropped today. That's right, today, February 14th. Because J.J. Voss wants you to have more love for your fellow human being. And we're going to get into more detail about that right away. Let's go. Come along, come along, come along.
1: Side hand in hand, the way it's supposed to be. Respect one another, let love take. So if we're lost in stormy weather, we can ride it out together, and the light that leads us home will be our road. The Desert Tiger podcast. We are
0: joined by JJ Voss, and this Valentine's Day, JJ, JJ wants his fellow man to respect and love one another. And we're going to get into that conversation of what inspires that. Of course, that being his latest single, Come Along with Me. You just heard it. And we're going to get into that and his new album, which is also named Come Along with Me. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Desert Tiger Podcast, J.J. Voss.
2: Well, hello, Colton. It's good to be with you today.
0: Uh, I'm extremely excited to have another Saskatchewan prairie boy here joining me on the show.
2: Awesome. Well, it's good to be with
0: you. All right. So I want to dive into, of course, your beginnings as a musician. I found in my research that you started playing guitar at the age of eight years old so was music like a very big thing in your family was it something that you were constantly surrounded by
2: not really the guitar at the age of eight was actually was the third instrument that i picked up it kind of goes back to i think i was three years old when uh, santa claus showed up out at my farm delivering me a little quarter-sized fiddle and I come bolting out of the bathtub because I heard bells ringing and I heard somebody at the door and it turned out it was Santa Claus and he had this fiddle for me. So that's kind of the earliest, uh, when I first started. Uh, and then I progressed to, there was nobody around my little community where I lived that, um, taught any kind of fiddle lessons or that could give me any guidance. Uh, I had relatives, a couple of my, uh, my mother's cousins who were, uh, fiddle players themselves and that's kind of where I think they saw my folks saw that I was um, whenever the Oscar and Peter would come around and the fiddles would come out I was absolutely mesmerized by that and I was uh, locked on to what they were doing so my folks started there and because there was nobody really around that could give me lessons and give me guidance uh, I got into keyboards there was uh, the the town that I was from had Obviously, a few churches, like every little community does, and the minister's wife taught organ lessons. So I became, I became a church organist at a young
0: age. So you've just been naturally inclined and drawn to music from a young age.
2: Yeah. Well, I wasn't very good at sports, and I kind of figured that out early on. And uh, my my parents didn't really. Uh, I didn't know if they they thought they couldn't afford to keep me in sports because it was a very that's an expensive pursuit and it's it very time consuming and uh, my parents didn't really have a lot of time they had to manage the farm and make sure that there was uh, make sure they were able to keep some money coming in the door so I think that was part of the thought process
0: <laughs> so you were entertained inside playing music while they're out working the fields and feeding the animals type thing
2: yeah I think that was I think that's kind of what where their mindset was
0: well i mean it was definitely a good investment from their part i must say
2: yes it was um well i i'm i'm very very lucky and very happy they did because uh you know for it's become a vocation and it's become my passion uh i mean sports uh is something that i think is cool but it's not something that i i really uh I only one sport that I follow is the is CFL football and that's the Saskatchewan Roughriders. And it has to do with more than sports. It, it's more of uh that's more about our culture out here in the prairies.
0: It definitely is a culture. I mean, flags are hung up in windows everywhere and you can just see the Saskatchewan Rough Rider license plates just on every highway heading towards Regina on game day and, it's an amazing culture in Saskatchewan that just unites a, a lot of the people.
2: Yes, it's definitely the unifying factory. It's kind of it's, it's our only professional uh, franchise. And as far as, you know, kind of uh, presenting yourself or giving yourself an identity on the national and international stage, we don't really have anything except the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we really, really. We endorse and we really uh, embrace. We embrace that very, very deeply.
0: Yes, it's very loved and celebrated. Do you have the opportunity to take in a lot of Saskatchewan Rough Rider games when you were younger?
2: Growing up, not really, because again, it was uh, money was pretty tight, and uh, you know, in the fall when the season would start, that was kind of pretty. That was when we were really busy, but uh we used to I remember one the labor day game once a year my folks would plan to to bring us in for that and the old stadium back then didn't have uh seats in the end zone they had uh, it was called hemorrhoid hill you'd sit out on the grass uh, grassy knoll and you'd watch the game so and those uh, tickets were pretty cheap so uh the family would make it out to at least one game a year usually
0: the labor day classic is a pretty good game to make it out to i mean i've only made it out to one of those myself and it's a pretty rowdy energetic crowd for the labor day games always
2: yeah it's pretty awesome
0: if you're gonna make one game out of the year that's definitely the game to go for
2: Yes, that's the one.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's jump back into the music. So you were playing church piano. What inspired you to pick up your father's guitar? Just the fact that it was there and it was an option for you?
1: Well,
2: to be honest with you, is from uh, I got uh, tired of getting the shit beat out of me at school. <laughs> oh. Uh, being a promising church organist, it doesn't make you all that. Uh, that's not a very cool thing. <laughs> you go to school, you don't really brag too much about it. Uh, I mean, I'm being facetious, kind of. Uh, I didn't get beat up too much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you show up, I used to go to some music it was called the Copel, Copel Valley Music Festival. And, you know, I'd get to uh, ditch out of school for the afternoon to go play at a music festival. And I, uh, one year I won the Most Promising Church Organist Award. Well, that's not something that you really show off to your, to your buddies at school. <laughs> 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 and there was a guitar kicking around at home. It was actually a steel-bodied Dobro which which uh, much later on I learned that is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty unique and, uh, and valuable guitar. But I just kind of picked that up, and to me that was a lot more cool. And it, With that, I could actually start to... You know, kind of mimic some of the people that I was listening to at the time.
0: So, what kind of music were you listening to exactly? Was it the outlaw sort of brand of country that you represent today?
2: Yeah, you know what? Not exactly, but not too far off. Uh, One of my earliest uh, cassettes that I owned was uh, Waylon Jennings' uh, greatest hits uh, album. So, you know, I, I learned. All, all of the songs on that uh, cassette, and Waylon's music was uh, was pretty straightforward, pretty simple. So it was uh, it was a great place to start. Alabama had a uh, had an album out that uh, I learned a lot of the songs on that as well. And then uh, George Jones had a uh, album called First Time Live, and uh, I learned that inside out and backwards.
0: Wow. So just studying as much as you possibly could.
2: Oh, just listening to it and banging away at the guitar until the sounds that came out of it sounded somewhat like what was coming out of the speakers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So being a small town Saskatchewan boy myself, I know that finding places to perform sometimes can be a little bit difficult to start out. So where exactly did you begin performing when you started playing live?
2: Well, there was for luck in that little town. There was a few of us kind of misfit kids that weren't all that great at sports, so we kind of gravitated together. We we started on weekends. We would uh, we would jam. We would have band rehearsals, which would last usually from Friday evening to Sunday afternoon, and uh, we put together you know bands my first band when i was 13 years old i think our first show our first paying gig first professional gig i believe i was 15 and we played for our town sports day there we pulled in my dad's hay rack bail wagon and set up on it and we played i think a half hour and that was our first paying gig the following year you know that was the. Uh, the hook was set, and it went well, and we enjoyed it, so we really dug in, and by the time I was 16, we were starting to book small-town bars around the area from uh, within about, oh, you know, about a 200-kilometer radius.
0: Oh, wow. So, right from the get-go, you guys are hitting the highway and burning rubber, getting out to all those small-town bars and surrounding areas. You mentioned Fort Quapel, so I'm guessing out in the fort, maybe like Indian head style area, maybe more towards like Melville type thing?
2: Yeah, we made it to Melville, we made it to we did Clapel, did Saudi, Cupard, Dysart, Fort Capel, then uh, went up north to Kelleher, Lestock, Strasburg, Saudi and that was kind of when I was sixteen and seventeen. We kinda of a little circuit.
0: So, already starting and getting that touring experience from an incredibly young age, which is valuable. And a lot of people don't realize just how difficult it is to get that started. And it's really a great opportunity that you had those chances, especially with small town bars.
2: Well, it was valuable from a music standpoint and from, you know, kind of what graduated into as a career for me probably wasn't all that valuable for my education. (laughs) My teachers probably uh questioned those choices, but uh you know, I was living rock and roll dream at, you know, the age of sixteen or seventeen years old, so for me it was it was pretty cool.
0: So how do you begin to transition into your solo career and when do you begin to truly song right when you guys are touring as a band are you guys playing your own songs or are you playing covers i guess i should have asked that as well
2: yeah well it's you know it was great it was the best thing that could happen and the worst because um you know in in that uh, situation i'd go out on the weekend and i'd get paid money to play songs for people and i was considered a that one professional musician and you know it was pretty awesome to come home with about three hundred dollars in your pocket on a weekend that, that was good but the thing is is uh, that was learning songs that were on the radio and to sell beer in bars it was a great education because it helped me develop my ear and helped me develop my playing skills my chops but I didn't really have any concept about writing songs or the creative process that wasn't really even thought about too much at the time it was You just had to kind of stay current with what songs were out on the radio at the time, and you were a professional. After I graduated high school, um, I pretty much fell right into my first band that went on the road, uh, like full-time for uh, for a living. At the time in Canada, there was still uh, a bar circuit that was doing six nights a week, six and five nights, I should say. So basically, Monday to Saturday, or some of them were Tuesday to Saturday. So I joined my first band that was already, you know, established band, and I, I came on as a side guy. And I was their guitar player, and uh, I sang backup vocals. And um, I actually was the uh, volunteered audio engineer in the band as well.
0: Hmm. So you're getting audio engineer experience as well, right out the gate.
2: Yeah, well, I had already had that kind of with my high school band, but that was very, very grassroots. You know, go run to the music store, rent some gear, spend an hour or two figuring out how to plug it in, and then going, showing up at the gig, and then, because you had to, you had to figure out how to make sounds come out of it, and little by little, you you kind of learned how to make the sounds sound better. <laughs> 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 worthwhile. It was painful because uh, that can be pretty unforgiving. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's how I graduated. And I did that. I went on the road when I was about 20 years old. And I did that for, oh, the better part of about six years.
0: Wow. So you toured six years from there. And then after that, was that when you began to uh, songwrite for yourself? Or were you songwriting while you were touring and all of that?
2: No, it was the same kind of situation. You were traveling around playing cover tunes to sell beer in bars, and uh, you got, we got paid pretty well, and it was one of those... Uh, songwriting and the, the actual mu- selling music and the business of music wasn't really on the on my mind at the time. or I didn't know anything about it, to tell you the truth. Uh, so that came later. when the When the bar scene wound down, when... Uh, it went from six to five to four to playing back threes is really all that was available in the end. I saw that the writing was on the wall and this wasn't going to go on for very long, so then I wound up coming home and I had to decide whether I was going to, quote-unquote, get a real job and uh, move on to something else or, you know, what I was going to do. And for luck, there was one remaining nightclub left that was committed to doing um, to doing shows. They were open at the time five nights a week and they had just invested a, a good chunk of money into a, a brand new uh, concert-style sound system. And with me looking for a job and having some uh, experience in audio engineering, I went and I applied uh, for that position and for luck there was uh, a guy by the name of Hap was his nickname. He took me on, and he trained me and kind of turned me into a professional sound guy. And so between, let's see, that was about the year 2000. I started doing that, and that was a full-time job till about 2009.
0: Which is when you released your debut EP Hillbilly Storybook.
2: That's right. So in the... Yeah, in the interim during this, as I'm working in a nightclub and and uh, learning a lot about the industry, uh, and learning about being a sound man, I you know had to I really wa- had to kind of get back to basics and look myself in the mirror and say, okay, why did I get into this in the first place? What did I really want to do? And as a kid, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be Steve Earle when Guitar Town came out in 1986 that was the album that kind of really pinched it for me and i said okay this is what i want to do for a living that album spoke to me on every level and uh it was kind of that was the epiphany moment that when i decided i wanted to be in music for the as a career the problem was is again with everything i talked about where i was from and the, the people that surrounded me the idea of writing your own songs and and playing them wasn't really a concept, so I didn't really discover that until much later, when I was in my you know, late 20s and I was working within the music business but not playing music. I, you know, kind of had to get real with myself and say, okay, why did I? What did I really, really want to do? And that's what I arrived at. I forced myself to finish writing some songs, and at the time, I bought my first computer. And I started the process of learning how to uh, record, and you know, learn how to become a recording artist.
0: So you self-produced that debut EP as well, then. Yes. Oh wow! So just taking the audio engineering experience that you already had, and then continuing to apply, and then learning and expanding your knowledge.
2: Yes, exactly. Uh, I took I took the knowledge that I had from live music uh production and then you know kind of learned how to transfer because recording is a different ball game than live but uh i managed to figure it out it took a long time but i I got a handle on it
0: so from years of playing cover tunes and running audio and then finally self-teaching you your first album you suddenly gain quite a bit of traction from there. I mean, you get yourself a nomination for a Western Canadian Music Award Producer of the Year. I mean, for your own production, first production. So, I mean, that's pretty huge right out the gate. And then you're starting to gain traction as a solo artist.
2: I have to be. Uh, I have to be real as well. I can't take all the credit for that. I had the very good fortune of uh, uh, managing to hang out with. And, and learn from some of the industry's best. Uh, there's a little uh, studio in Regina called Touchwood Studios. It was owned by a fellow named Grant Hall. At the time, uh, Corey Turco, uh, who is now, well, he's in a band called Tooke, but he's been a long-time uh, guitar player for Shania Twain and um, uh, also Kelly Clarkson. At the time, uh, Corey was around Regina because he's originally from Moose Jaw, and he was producing some projects at Touchwood, and he allowed me to sit on the couch and kind of absorb what they were doing. Uh, Another guy by the name of Johnny Gasparic, who, uh, you mentioned his name in in Canadian uh, recording circles, and he's he's one of the most respected engineers and producers in the country. I learned a lot from Donnie as well. And even earlier than that, uh, Corey's brother, Kevin, who's, now probably one of the most famous producers in the world, or he's up there with them. hes uh, I got to know him, and I managed to absorb, you know, some valuable information from him in, in that time as well.
0: So you had some incredible talents take you under their wings as well and help share their knowledge with you.
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the basis of life, you know. It's a matter of uh, passing it along, to, passing what you know along to the next generation and trying to help other people out. And I'm very, very grateful that they let me be a fly on the wall and, you know, and just kind of absorb what was going on.
0: Well, it's fantastic that they allowed you to do that, too, and that the knowledge that they passed on to you was well used.
2: (laughs) Yes, I was very fortunate.
0: What was the differences that you immediately saw in releasing your own music from the world that you already knew of playing covers and everything else? What was that transition like for you, and how did that road begin for you?
2: Well, it was absolutely exciting because you know I sat on uh, I sat on the sidelines for a long stretch when i when I wasn't playing regularly. And earlier than that, you know, being in cover bands and being a side guy guitar player, it was always in my heart to, you know, wanting to be the guy that was center stage and wanting to be that artist. So to actually realize that dream and to make it happen much later when I was in my early 30s, for me, I was just tickled pink. So, you know, every uh, opportunity that came along, I was able to leverage a lot of my connections from working in that nightclub where we had touring recording acts coming through on a regular basis, I was able to leverage those connections and those relationships to help me, you know, help bolster and launch what I was doing as a solo artist.
0: So that helped you get out onto the road and continue to build, like, touring relationships and get even, like, the radio relationships and things like that
2: yeah radio relationships a lot of them were built because they knew me as that oh jj i remember you i saw you at the club there we we presented that concert that was coming through town oh you have you have your own music oh interesting well let me have a listen so you know it really helped those types of relationships form uh one of the coolest stories or a cool story that i remember is i had three songs completed that i was working on in my apartment at the time and uh I was working on a show with Cooper, and uh, I went into their trailer before the show to let them know they are going to be coming on. And uh, No, I, let me correct that. It was after the show. It was, we were winding down, and uh, Ray Maguire, the lead singer, is a very, very warm, friendly person, and he asked me, he goes, so, you know, what do you do outside of being a sound guy? And I said, well, I'm working on uh, on my first album. And he said, well, I'd like to hear it sometime. And I'm, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I, I have my little CD right here. And he stopped me. He goes, he goes, okay, if you want to get into this business, he says, I'm going to stop you right now. He says, don't ever give, don't ever present your music and tell somebody that you've got this little thing. And he says, why would I want to have a listen to this little project? He said, you have to be your best promoter. He says, you put this in my hand and say, you got to have a listen to this this was fantastic so that was you know a lesson learned just off the cuff from one of you know canada's greatest icons
0: mm-hmm. right away he just could have like taken the cd and been like okay thank you but instead he's like no this is i'm gonna teach you a lesson here and i'm gonna give you some value out of this moment
2: exactly exactly
0: We are going to be taking a little bit of a short break here, but have no fear because we're going to be playing you another one of JJ's latest singles. Of course, we're going to be playing you some people, the first single off of his upcoming album, but before we get there, we're going to take care of a little bit of business So first off, I just want to talk about the best way that you can support a Desert Tiger podcast. I mean, besides the ways like reviewing the show and giving it five stars or sharing this episode, the other way that you can go ahead, the other best way that you can go ahead and support the Desert Tiger podcast is ilovedtp.com. And why is that? That's because that's where you can go to deck yourself out in the latest and greatest Desert Tiger podcast gear so that you can rep the show every single place you go in front of your friends, in front of your family, and even in front of your enemies. Because screw your enemies, that's right! Who cares about their opinion? And you can rock that who cares about their opinion attitude while wearing a Desert Tiger Podcast t-shirt because you can let them know that I don't care about your opinions about my dreams because I'm going to be going about my way because I adapt to my surroundings no matter what it is. My goal is that I want to achieve. Yes. Yes. And of course... Today's episode is also brought to you by... By Audible! Audible is offering our listeners, that's right, you guys, the Desert Tiger Ambush. They're offering you a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. All that you have to go ahead and do is head on over to audibletrial.com slash tiger and begin browsing the unmatched selection of audio programs Choose and download whatever title piques your interest, there's so many different options and selections, and start listening today, it's that easy, all you have to do is head on over to audible.com slash desert tiger, and you can get started today, and let me tell you, I love Audible, someone that's constantly on the road, who's in the gym, doing lots of other things. Sometimes it's hard to get that reading time in, that personal development time in, and that's where Audible comes in handy. And right now, personal development is exactly what my goal is with Audible, is I'm checking out Daring Greatly by Dr. Brené Brown. Not sure if I pronounced that right, sorry if I didn't, but either way, that's what I'm checking out, and in the book, Dr. Brown explains how vulnerability is both the core of difficult emotions like fear, grief, and disappointment, and the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, empathy, innovation, and creativity. Kind of goes along with the message with our conversation with J.J. Voss today. So, like I said, if you want to check out Audible, you can do so by heading on over to www.audibletrial.com slash deserttiger. Some people stay, while some
1: people head down the road. Some people rock, some people roll. And some people sing. Some people... Just gotta dance. Some people play safe, some people take the chance. It takes all So full of hate and Some people say nothing Some people have a lot to say Yeah Some people stay The Desert Tiger Podcast.
0: So let's talk about your debut full-length album, "Show 'Em Who's Voss, which was produced in Nashville by Harry Steenson of the Steve Earle Band, a band that you had been listening to since you were a very young individual, learning guitar, your craft. So what was that opportunity like for you to finally be able to work with someone that you had been listening to since the beginning of your musical career.
2: Well, it was a pinch me. I'm dreaming type moment. H- Harry Simpson was Steve Earle's you know, band leader. And he was one of the first uh, musicians that the, the record label had contacted for when they went to record guitar town. And as I said earlier, that album was, you know, that's my, uh, that album is my North star when it comes to music. So that, that opportunity was incredible. And it came about a lot, very similarly to what I was, the Ray McGuire story. I went down to Nashville to a music festival called the Americana Fest. And I went there, down there just to scope it out and to learn about the genre and to you know s- s- see if there's a way for me to connect there. Corb Lund was playing a showcase at the, it was called the Loveless Café. So being a fellow Canuck, we went down to, uh, to see a showcase. Sure enough, Harry's a pretty tall fella. And I see him, you know, his head above the crowd. I'm like, that's Harry Simpson And I was a little i was a little ways away from him. So, of course, I worked my way through the crowd to get beside him. I didn't know if I should. And managed to muster up the courage to introduce myself. I asked him, because he had produced Corb Lund, uh, a few records for Corb. I said, you know, Corb put on a great show, I, I love the way his albums sound, and you produce them, and I said, would you consider taking on other projects, do you do that, or, you know, do I need to talk to somebody, he says, oh, you don't need to talk to anybody, he said, talk to me, because I don't really look for producing projects, but I'll have a listen to what you're doing, and so I gave him, uh, took his number, gave him my number, we exchanged um over the course of a year i'd send um, my demos to him and he would critique them send them back to me and then i would rewrite them and keep brushing up on the songs and once we had about five or six songs together he said uh why don't we record an album together
0: that's awesome so not only is he helping you with crafting the songs just from the get-go he just Liked it enough that he's just like you know what, let's let's do this we got to record these songs and we need to do this right now.
2: Yeah, it was I liken it to kind of like my song my a stint in songwriting university? It was like taking a class. Uh, I didn't have a lot of influences or or people that I could lean on to learn the craft of songwriting from. So that's what this experience was. He looked at my first drafts of these songs and he, he thought there was enough potential to work on it so i took that as a, as a pretty big compliment and as i said it was like it was like a teacher-student relationship i would send i'd send it to him he'd look it over and say i like this this is good you kind of lose me in this section so he would send it back to me and i just kept brushing up on him on it until the songs really came together
0: you just can't finding Experience and help like that, especially when it's something that you yourself are trying to find, that's just invaluable. Like, that's amazing that that opportunity presented itself.
2: Well, and again, it's just like I had spoke earlier about uh, Kevin and Corey Turco and Johnny Gasparic, you know, having people who are willing to share their knowledge and willing to pass it along, you know, that was huge. It's, it's mentors like that that uh, I'm very, very grateful for.
0: Absolutely, and it that's how these moments get created, and you move forward and show them whose Voss goes on to win an SCMA Roots Album of the Year in two thousand and thirteen. A lot of the songs off the album start to chart, and once again, you're continuing to build steam as a solo artist.
2: Yeah, it was an exciting time, and it was it was validation with the first. EP that I produced myself I wanted to prove to myself that I could that I could be a recording artist so that I could figure out you know how to do that and then the next album I had decided that I really needed to step it up a notch and and get input from you know my heroes some people who were who could teach me and where and that was you know the Harry Simpson connection and then the industry. You know, people in radio. Luckily, you know, they took to it and they gave me a chance. And I, so, I'm very grateful to radio for. Um, you know, I didn't have management. I I didn't have representation. I didn't have a big. Uh, I didn't have deep wa- or deep pockets. I don't have a big fat wallet. So, for uh, radio to listen to my songs and give give those songs a chance to see the airwaves, that was huge.
0: Absolutely. And it's an incredible opportunity for such a young artist to have that amount of ears that back in 2012, like streaming services hadn't necessarily really taken off yet. So at that moment, having that radio play is really essential.
2: Oh, yeah. And well, I mean, it still is in order to monetize what we're doing. The streaming world is, is awesome from an exposure standpoint. And it has its merits, but radio play, you actually, it's monetized. You actually get paid a little bit for it. So, you know, th- that was a godsend.
0: Mm-hmm. And then having the um, actual markets, the having the radio stations be able to promote you in the markets that you're maybe going to be touring now also really helps with your draw as well that maybe necessarily streaming doesn't help with as much
2: right exactly building your building your profile having so when your name is mentioned people Well, i think i've heard of that name when you're calling for a booking that that goes a long way name recognition is king
0: it absolutely is so you're going from having these incredible experiences from this album and being able to tour and do much further with your solo career but then come around 2017 you end up having to take a hiatus because you needed back surgery what ended up leading to this
1: well
2: it was a degenerative condition it was you know I think everybody at some point in their life has had a sore back and uh that type of thing I did I I've had back problems probably since about 2009 2010 but um The amount of travel that I was doing in the in the last few years, I was on planes, uh, sitting in bucket seats, and from what I've learned, bucket seats are the worst thing, worst possible thing for a person's posture and, and for a bad disc. So yeah, basically, just I I ran until the wheels fell off. Literally, I knew it was a problem, and it was getting worse and there was really nothing I could do about it. I, I wasn't able to find some, anything I could do about it. And it got to a point where I fell off my feet. I was in New York City on uh, October 1st, and I wasn't able to walk anymore. So I, I couldn't uh, i couldn't keep running. I had to deal with it.
0: Oh, it got that bad that you couldn't even walk.
2: Yeah, I, I actually crawled onto the airplane in uh, at LaGuardia Airport in New York, and uh the flight attendant didn't wasn't going to let me on. She said, "Sir, uh, you're in no shape to fly. We're going to have to call. <laughs> we're going to have to call uh, paramedics." And I said, "I can't. I, I don't have health insurance for. It was considered a pre-existing condition because I'd been to the doctor about it before. So my travel insurance was going to be void. So she spoke to the pilot, and the pilot came out and said, uh, "No, we'll look after him." And he managed to get me onto Canadian soil and. Uh, I kissed the ground when I got there because I was crawling on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that'll definitely make you appreciate being on Canadian soil for sure.
2: Sure did because I know, you know, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. All you hear is horror stories of, of what it costs for medical care in the United States and and not having uh, health insurance. And it was uh, it was staring me in the eye at the time, so I was pretty
0: scared. Mm -hmm. That definitely could have had a very negative effect on not only you, but your career, because who knows what those medical bills could have added up to.
2: Exactly, and and that was part of it too. Like I knew things were getting worse. I was on a steady diet of Advil and Robaxacet and pretty much whatever I could put into my system to get comfortable. I knew it was getting worse, and I knew it wasn't going to heal, but I, i when we looked into the concept of surgery they said well you're gonna have to take about probably about a year off and i said well that's not an option i I don't have that option when it did happen i didn't have any options left i didn't have a choice because i couldn't i couldn't keep going so i had to sit down and, and go get it dealt with
0: wow so you end up having to take a a year Off of what is your career at this point? So how did this affect you? How did this move you forward? Because it does end up inspiring your next album, Come Along With Me. And I want to find out how. Because a lot of people might see this as a negative feeling. But listening to some of the songs on this album, you're trying to spin a lot of positivity out of the experience here so coming out of this surgery what was your life like and how did that inspire you to move forward
1: well it was
2: a real watershed moment you know uh i was just uh i was 40 years old at the time and i'm looking at uh my past what i did and I, you know you have when you have that many hours of laying in bed to contemplate life it it, it wasn't uh you know there were some pretty dark times so as you sitting there contemplating like hey, do i what do i do now my album was all, was released in 2012 it's now 2016 2017 i need to come out with something right away that isn't in the cards is this the end do i just kind of walk away from it and move on and, and try to figure out life afterwards which you know i contemplated for a long time I tried to do some lighting. I tried to, but things were—I wasn't in a good headspace for that. Things were pretty dark at the time, so I just focused on um, just getting better. I just took the time to heal. I had to get to a point where I didn't beat myself up about it because I, I wasn't. Uh, when you're in that negative headspace, you don't heal very well. So it it took a long time to to recover from it and and to move forward but in that time that I'm laying in bed and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of things to digest not only in my personal life but when you turn on the TV or, or flip open social media there was a lot of nasty things that were going on at the time there was there was a mass shooting in Las Vegas 58 people were killed there was also the refugee crisis that was happening in Syria uh, there was millions of people that didn't have homes anymore that were trying to relocate and trying to find safety, and they were showing up in Canada. And, uh, you know, there were, and there was a lot. It was kind of the beginning of the division where I watched on my social media feed where people who were my friends and my fans, and I think fan is a little bit of a... Is, I have a hard time using that term, but people who are my followers and people who liked what I did musically, when I'd watched the social media feed, I realized that I didn't really have much in common with them. And so it was kind of a scary feeling. I, I, I lay there, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if I'm even going to bother with this music thing anymore because a lot of the things that I believe in and a, a lot of the songs that, or a lot of the principles that I believe in Aren't really shared by people who who follow my music. But like you said earlier, I I, I kind of figured out a way to spin the situation and spin my uh, get get myself in a better headspace. I wanted to write songs that would um, ask questions and that would try to try to bring a positive. A positive spin to some of these things that were so
0: troubling to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's definitely the world has been in a lot of, in the news, in politics, and in social media, there's been a lot of division, there's been a lot of misinformation, or a lot of people who are misinformed, and there's a lot of accusations and a lot of anger that is being put out in the world that maybe necessarily isn't exactly helping anybody.
2: Well, I think you summed it up be- better than I than I did. Uh, that was it. When I was with all that time to myself, people were saying to me, "Oh, you must be writing a lot of songs." Well, when I would sit down with the think with the thought of writing songs, there was nothing positive and there was nothing worthwhile keeping. It was it was pretty dark and it was it wasn't adding value to the discussion. We'll Put it that way. And. It wasn't until I was able to turn my head around, and say, you know what, I want to use my voice to do something. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna record another album, if I'm gonna jump back in the water, I want this to do something constructive and to have a purpose.
0: All right. So let's talk about some of those songs and let's talk about what led to them. So let's talk about the track that dropped. Today, the day that this episode releases, February fourteenth, the title track of the album, "Come Along With Me," and of course, it starts off the album with that anthem of, like, let's let's be a better community. And I really love the message behind this song.
2: Well, thank you, and I think it kind of sums up everything that I had just been talking about prior. I'm basically asking my listeners, my friends people let's come together let's not let the world divide us let's let's do something positive and help each other
0: and you filmed the music video for um some people another track off of this album in moose jaw a very small community and that song also really shows and in captures that vibe
2: Yes, it turned out to be the perfect uh, location. We used, Joel Stewart is a good friend, has become a good friend. Uh, the co-writer on that song, his name is Mike Bloom. And Mike and Joel are like Fred and Barney. They're best friends. And when Mike uh, heard that I was shooting a video, he says, oh man, you got to get my buddy Joel to direct the video. He said, it's, you know, you need to do that. So he introduced me to Joel. Joel's like one of the one of the the big dogs in the in the film world in Canada, so I didn't think there was a snowball chance of hella working with him. But he uh, took interest, he listened to my record, and he the message resonated with him and said, I'd love to be involved. So he suggested we shoot in Moose Jaw, and the vibe in that town was just right, and the, the cast that uh, Joel and his uh, people were able to line up were were the right people and it, it just all fell into place.
0: So did you guys do like a little bit of like a social media community casting call or how did you go about finding the people for this video?
2: Joel's got himself a network of friends and with one person in particular that's kind of his ringer his name's Jared and Jared was uh given the task of of casting the video and he he made it happen. He lined everybody up and lined up the locations and uh Yeah, Jared was a valuable valuable asset and a a good friend.
0: Awesome. So not only did the video show some community, not only does the song talk about bringing together community, some people, of course, but also behind the scenes, it also brought together this community of creative people and individuals together to bring this together.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it it was like the perfect storm.
0: And another thing about the community of Saskatchewan of this album is I found that this was actually recorded at Touchwood Studios, the studio that you learned a lot of the lessons you used earlier when you produced your first album.
2: Well, that's a good catch. Yes. We tracked all the drums, bass and uh, some of the guitars there at Touchwood Studio, yes
0: what was it like to step back into Touchwood and to step back in and finally be bringing back this new energy, this new return to the music world?
2: Oh, it was very cool because it's a familiar space and the room has a decent vibe to it and there was really good people working on it. My uh, uh, Jason Brinkworth uh, has been my longtime drummer. He played on most of my material right from the beginning. And he played drums on all the songs. Uh, Brad Prosko was a longtime friend. He was the engineer. And Murray Paulver is one of the nicest people in the world. (laughs) And he was producing the project. So, you know, it, it was a really good feeling. It was a good vibe.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that. I love just the community and the energy that all came together to bring come along with me to this point
2: yeah it was it it worked out really well i had that's the one thing that i've uh i've learned over the years from and that was coming from my parents is surround yourself with good people and never be too proud to ask for help and and get advice from people
0: Alright, so I want to wrap things up very soon and I want to ask about your video thoughts and prayers to finish things off. But before I get there, let's. Uh, where can the listeners of the podcast find out more about J.J. Voss?
2: J.J.Voss.com is probably the simplest. You go there and it's got all the links to my social media sites. If you're on Facebook, just search my name or Twitter or Instagram or any of those sites
0: awesome and they definitely should do that and they should go and check out if they're Saskatchewan people of course you have some tour dates that are announced you have a new album that's coming up so if people want to go and pre-order that they definitely should as well and on that album they're also going to find thoughts and prayers on top of the other tracks we spoke about other amazing tracks as well but as we record this interview, we're actually recording this in January. A little bit of a behind-the-scenes look there. You dropped the video for Thoughts and Prayers on Saturday, January the 18th. What inspired you to just drop the video for this song on January 18th? And I want to go into a little bit of detail about this video because I love the details of this video.
2: All right. Well, you know, we had this created... We uh we had this created for a while now. Uh, we're working with uh, the prehistoric productions video company from Saskatoon uh, on this whole album project. And um, back in August, there was another major mass shooting in the United States. You know, a person always after one of those things hit, you feel so helpless. There's, you don't know what to do. And, I think people in general feel that way. You go and you log on to your social media accounts. You, you, you try your best to digest what happens. You you want to do something, but there's not much else you can do than send out your regards to the people that it happened to and hope that it never happens again. So that that's what was going on last August, and I uh, we didn't really have a plan for the song at that place at that time for the video. So when he, he, there was a mass shooting, I called up the boys from Prehistoric Productions. I said, we have to move on this. We have to do something. Uh, Let's let build a clip show video, a, a lyric video with with a bunch of news clips and sew it together. I, I Basically, I kind of gave them my vision for it. And uh, what they came up with is, is all on them. Uh, Brad and... Um, his team came up with one of the, like, a very, very profound, uh, very uh, affecting uh, video. People who watch it, I've gotten feedback from people who have peer, have teared uh, up with it. It's a pretty powerful video, so I have to give full marks to the prehistoric uh, crew in Saskatoon for coming up with that video.
0: No, it's incredibly powerful, and one of my favorite things about it is not only does it show a lot of real situations, but it not only includes the lyrics of the song as part of like the news feed at the bottom, but it also includes statistics of some of the past massacres that have happened in the world as well, which continues to just show just how real and prevalent this unfortunately is in our society.
2: Yeah, it's, it's one of those, there's no hiding so that you can, you know, what's frustrating, frustrating and what I found frustrating, again, harkening back to the, the time when I was immobile and I had nothing to do but witness this stuff and, and digest it all. And what the most frustrating is is after the initial shock of what has happened wears off, what I was seeing was people would degenerate into these arguments about, your right to bear arms and your rights as a person and how they can. People seem to be more worked up, or there is a faction of people who seem to be more worked up at the very thought of facing some regulations to on a firearm than they were about the actual blood that was spilled in the street. So, you know, it's a very, very frustrating <laughs> phenomenon, really. So uh, we created this video and then we sat on it, and we didn't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, Christmas time hit. We put out our first video in October. Christmas was coming. You don't want to, you know, drop out uh, heavy topics like this around Christmas. But we waited and waited and really didn't know what to do with it. And then last week, there was uh, a band that I follow called the Drive-By Truckers. They're a fantastic band. Jason Isbell was actually in the band at one point. So that's kind of how I know of them. They released a song last week by the same name, Boston Players. And then a day later, uh, I see another post come across that Eminem uh, dropped a song, a very, very dark video about the actual Vegas uh, shooting specifically. And so I went to my marketing team in kind of a panic, and I said, we have to move on this now. We, the, you never know how to start an uncomfortable conversation. And these other two acts have you know kind of broken the ice. So I think now is the time we move on it.
0: Because the conversation has already been started, so let's continue it rather than allow it to be swept under the rug. Right. Fantastic. Well, I love the message of this song, and I love the message of this album. Thank you so much for joining me here today, J.J. Voss.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I hope to talk to you again.
0: The songs that you heard on today's episode of the DTP were in order. Come Along With Me, followed by Some People. Both these songs, of course, are by JJ Voss, and you can find both of them right now on your favorite music streaming service. And while you're checking out those tracks, why don't you go ahead and follow JJ? And why don't you go ahead and give JJ a follow on your social media, too, if you're so inclined to do so, so that you can stay up to date with all the news and notes about JJ's upcoming album which also is entitled Come Along With Me, and that is dropping in March, so very soon. So you're going to want to stay up to date with that for sure. And of course, I want to go ahead and give JJ one last roaring DTP thank you for joining us today to not only talk about his career, but also to give us some insight into that new album and what has inspired it. It has been a very inspiring conversation with JJ, I must say. And the person I have to thank for setting all of that up is Susan Buss. I'm not sure if I just pronounced your last name right, Susan. Sorry if I didn't. Either way, you also deserve a big old Aurora and DTP. Thank you. So Ambush, go ahead and put it together for Susan, for JJ, and of course for yourself. Why, why not? Why not yourself? Because you guys know that we couldn't do it without the love that you show us here every single week when you tune in. So I want to thank you for checking out this conversation with J.J. Voss. If you're new to Desert Tiger, maybe you want to go ahead and consider hitting the subscribe button if you enjoy the show. Maybe so much show so eh, that you want to go ahead and give it a five-star review over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That would really, really help the show in growing. And, of course, What else would help the show in growing is if maybe you enjoyed this episode so much that you would want to share this episode, maybe on your social media, on your Instagram stories, your Twitter feed, maybe on your Facebook, maybe even talking to about it with a friend in person and just saying, hey. Maybe you would really enjoy this conversation. You should check it out. Maybe I'll even send you the link just to take out a little bit of the work for you. I don't know how you guys deal with these things. All I know is that those of you that do share the episodes, I love you so extremely so much for doing so. And if you want to go and share the episode, I would be so very happy if you even tagged Desert Tiger or even myself, Colton G, in that Post so that I can show you the proper love and respect for the love that you show us. Alright, next week on the show, we're going to be joined by pop artist Noah. She is going to be releasing her third single. And all of her singles are incredibly infectiously addictive and I can't wait to get them stuck in your head this time next week. And until then, why don't you guys go ahead? You know what it is. You guys know what it is. I'm going to tell you where to go, and that is to find your mountain and we're going to climb to the top and no matter how many times there's landslides and the rocks fall out from underneath us and maybe we get hurt and we have to heal but while we're healing we figure out a new way to climb the mountain and we climb the mountain in a smarter way and we get back to the top of our mountain so that we can sing and let everybody know our beautiful voices and our beautiful messages because you are beautiful people and until Next week. Bye.